0: It's time to take your seat in the front row with Mike Vaccaro. Here's your host, Mike Vaccaro.
1: Hey, thank you, Chuck, and welcome everybody in the front row. I am Mike Vaccaro, your host. Behind the scenes, as always, it's J.R. Quitman, our creator, producer, and director. Well, it's episode number 19 now, and for that, it's a Super Bowl champ. Kadri Ismael grew up in Pennsylvania playing high school football and also running track. Went on to Syracuse University, was an All-American in both those sports as well. Before, he enjoyed a 10-year career in the NFL as a wide receiver on a number of teams, a number of Hall of Fame teammates and coaches, and he won a Super Bowl in 2000 with the Baltimore Ravens. He shares his story with us here today in episode number 19 of In the Front Row. Kody, first of all, thanks for spending some time with us here today. Love the hat, uh, representing Syracuse for sure. Uh, and, and we're definitely going to dive into Syracuse, your pro career. You're a Super Bowl champ, and certainly want to talk to you about that. But I want to go back to the beginning for you. Uh, you're born in 1970 in, uh, in Newark, New Jersey, and then moved to Wilkes-Barre. <laughs> what was life like early on for you in, in New Jersey, and before that time when you transitioned to Pennsylvania? And, and tell us about sports and how much they were in your life early on.
0: Well, I think the biggest memory that I had growing up in in Newark and my time spent, my brothers and I, um, was just playing out in you know the typical Sandlot, you know, kind of a mindset. You know, you you have your buddies. We grew up in a section eight housing called Georgia King Village, and it was really cool because you had your entire community of 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 townhomes um, where you had so many young people, you know, my age that, um, you know, you made a ton of friends and it was really good. And um, my biggest, you know, fondest memory was just always going out and playing uh, whether it be basketball, it's time for basketball, whether it be football, it was time for football, you know, whatever the situation or whatever season um, was in play, that's what we were doing. And really, Uh, My first, you know, experience with organized sports was when I um, played for the the Orange Buccaneers uh, in Orange, New Jersey. And I remember, you know, (laughs) I look back on it now and I laugh because in my mind as a a little boy, you know, it it felt like um, what, I don't know, from my house in Newark to Orange Park. In Orange, New Jersey, must have been at least eight miles. However, with modern day technology, you Google that thing, and it was only like you know two miles down the road. But you know, you you think that it's like it was forever, and little things along those lines of just my experiences with um, interacting with different you know kids, and you know just developing a passion to play, and 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 I think that was you know, the the fun of of my experiences in my early childhood.
1: And you mentioned, you know, playing with your brothers as well. You're the, the middle brother, correct? So you've got the, your other two brothers, obviously very athletic family. What was it like, you know, and was there a lot of competition among the three of you growing up?
0: You know, there wasn't necessarily that intense competition that, you know, some people wanted to be as far as my brothers and I. I think the main thing for me was okay. I know I love the game. Um, I love playing games. I love you know whatever it might be. We we you know we played kickball. We played tag. Heck, you know the my backyard. We had um, you know those three or four other families that were were um, that a lot of uh, girls. So I, for me, I was learning how to double dutch. I was you know enhancing my my play by just playing and you know for my brothers and I you know if if nobody was out there we're playing with each other but it wasn't necessarily competitive like this back and forth that I think you know some siblings might have had um it was just like all right let's go out there and have fun and 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 that's what we did
1: eventually again, you moved to wilkes you moved in, uh, with your grandmother's at the case and you know, what, what, what led to that move and certainly it seemed to to be a good move for you guys when you look at everything that happened after that, getting recruited and obviously uh, going on to college from there. But, uh, what led to that move and, and was it a good move for you?
0: Yeah, I, I thought it was a seminal point in, in my young life. Um, my, my mom, you know, she was working um, at Saks Fifth Avenue at the time, and and she was just you know trying to make ends meet, and it was it was tough. It was tough on her. It was tough on us. She was trying to you know raise you know uh, sons that were you know coming into their own as far as teenagers, and you know all the the, the struggles of 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 coming of age. And I think for her, you know, her support system, because my father died when I was I was I was nine, so. Her support system became my both of my grandmothers, but uh, my grandmother in, in Pennsylvania, she was uh like, come come have them come stay with me. And first it was my younger brother who went and stayed with my grandmother, um, which was really cool uh, experience to you know, kind of visit him over the summer like, oh Yo, what you what know, Pennsylvania, what's this? This isn't this is like nothing to do out here. However, as we got older, and as my mom felt it was in uh, the best decision for, <clears throat> I think her peace of mind as well as just us not getting into trouble, um, to go live with my grandmother. And in um, eighth grade, we we made that move. I think it was it was it was it was tough, but I look back on it, and that's what I think helped me kind of ground myself into you know, what I would become athletically, what I become as far as, you know, socially and, and all the things. So, um, you know, really big thanks to my my mom and my grandmother for for the different sacrifices that they had to make. Um, but then at the same time, yeah, the, the fun of, you know, a, a new adventure, which was Wilkesburg, barre Pennsylvania.
1: Yeah, that, that was in 1985. As you said, your younger brother went ahead of you guys. Eventually, you're all together. Did it help? that it was the three of you that, that you know, you had each other to lean on during that time in the, this transition period for you?
0: I think it did. I think it was uh, a scenario where, you know, you, you had somebody to lean on, you, you weren't feeling like you were alone, or you didn't have uh, an understanding of, when I say didn't have an understanding, so, you know, you, any, anywhere you go, you, you know, you want to quote unquote fit in, you want to you know, feel accepted, and, and I think for for me, it was one of those cases where, you know, you're looking around like, okay, I don't know who I can hang out with, and it's easy when you got your, your family there, and, and my brother and, and I, we were, we graduated high school the same year, um, so we went through our grade school and high school together, and so I always had a friend, you know, I always had somebody that I could, hang with and, and chill out with. So that was, that was really special. Um, but yeah, the, the time, the early time in Wilkesbury. I remember it was, uh, we, we were talking about this uh, the other day, um, a dear friend of ours, uh, Mr. McLeod, he had just recently passed away and he uh, was the only um, black family that we got a chance to meet in a predominantly white area. And so we needed obviously our haircut. There was a, a barber who she would cut hair, uh, Mrs. Collins. But <laughs> sometimes she would make a mistake, and it was like, oh, boy, we don't know. So Mr. McCloud would come over after church, and uh, my grandmother, uh, you know, she was his mentor. He and his wife, and they had twins, uh, daughters, and then they had an older boy, Nathan. And Nathan was. I think he was probably just like a uh, in between myself and my younger brother, age wise, but um, it was that family dynamic that forged, um, you know, just just a, a strong sense of self, a strong bonding. Um, you know, he would always talk to us about uh, college and college football, and you know, I, I don't know. We I remember we we I remember the one conversation my brother and I were just recently having, and he was talking about you know, man, remember he was always talking about like you know, LSU and Dalton Hilliard and he was a great running back back in the day. And I was like, you know, of course we didn't know. So, you know, he, he would bring over the different at that time, sports magazines, like, you know, uh, obviously SI was like the magazine. And so the, the groove of him kind of mentoring us and being a, a, a role model, um, a black positive figure in our lives really, Helped out a lot. It's um, it's it, it's cool because there's these like I said it was it was such a pivotal point to move to Wilkesbury, but I think there were just so many people along the way that helped me from uh, a boy to to a man, and um, you know I'm I'm forever grateful for those those uh, shared experiences.
1: Yeah, as you said, you lost your your dad at a young age. You're a father now, so I'm sure the influence of somebody like that you're seeing that now as, as a dad with your, with your three kids as well.
0: I tell you what, there is nothing like being a father. Uh, (laughs) it's my greatest joy. Um, you know, I, I have, you know, the the greatest of memories when they were younger and, you know, you, you were Teflon. They, they thought, you know, you walked on water. (laughs) Of course, as they get older, they challenge you, but, uh, (laughs) the ages that they are now that my my kids are adults and it's really cool because now the conversations have shifted and, and we have deeper level, more, you know, world view conversations. But um, even in that, you know, I'm I'm so very proud of them. And, and, and and even my, my, my brothers and I, we were so close that the the nieces, the nephews, um, the cousins, the, 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 the connectedness, of our family is there like any family we have our issues and no family is perfect. And you know, that's just life, but the fun of the adventure, I think within the the family dynamic for my kids for my brother's kids, uh, my younger brother's kids, my older sister and, and her daughter, my niece, she's closer in age to my brothers and I. So her kids are so stinking cute. Cause they're so little, and she has some older, uh, two older boys as well. But uh, yeah, family. It, you know, I think that's the theme. It, it's it's the the connection that you have, and 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 for me, as a father, um, to be able to, you know, talk and give life lessons um, and learn. And you know, it's not always about me giving. It's about me understanding and being curious about my kids' lives too.
1: Well, that's great. And again, you, you talk about family, and and you and your older brother, you know, the Rocket. You guys played together. Football, and, and uh, I know you ran track in high school as well, but, but let's talk about football. At Myers High School, uh, you guys were outstanding together. What do you remember about those days and, and what you were able to do and the notoriety that you, you brought to that high school football team and, and just the athletic program there during your time there?
0: Yeah, I, I tell you what, uh, Myers High School, um, which has now merged, there were three city schools in the Wyoming Valley, um, the Wilkesbury City, was G-A-R, Grand Army Republic, or as we affectionately call, Garbage, Ashes, and Rubbish. All right, okay. Coughlin, um, and then, obviously, E.L. Myers. And they've now since combined, uh, I think it was 2018, was when the merger uh, started to take forth. And my time at Myers, you know, it was uh, it was awesome. My brother and I... <laughs> we had no idea, you know, the rich tradition of football in Pennsylvania. And you know, we just wanted to play and, and go out there and do what we do. We didn't know it was going to be, you know, as large as we were going to be because there were, there were a lot of, you know, uh, men and women that came before us that, you know, laid a, a good, strong foundation. Myers was a, a very accomplished academic and athletic school. Um, and, you know, you know, here we are, just two boys from North New Jersey, kind of like looking around like, oh, boy, what's going on? But again, you know, I look at, you know, people who, you know, made a difference in my life. Um, you know, Marguerite Lutensky, my eighth grade English teacher who uh, played a critical, critical role in me helping me get into Syracuse. Um, Mr. forsini our um, guidance counselor. You got part pardon me. I'm, I'm, I'm holding back from choking up because every time I tell these stories, it flashes me back and I'm right there in the moment. And I look then and I look at present day and, and I'm like, you know, I, I just have nothing but gratitude. So uh I apologize. I'm not trying to be sappy. It's just, uh, you know, I, I, you know, Mr. Frasini, <clears throat> he was amazing in that he saw these two black boys who came from, you know, North New Jersey brings us down to his office and, you know, he, ask a series of questions he brings in another uh, kid who was you know getting an academic scholarship to um, Harvard and he was uh, a another cool uh, part of another cool black family in in North New Jersey I'm sorry Wilkes-Barre Pennsylvania um, the Lots and and Paul Greg um, were just cool dudes and again the way in which they talked about going to college and and it can be a reality. And, you know, uh, uh, I, I cherished the time. Yes. You know, the, the rival games against, you know, GAR or Coughlin or Wyoming Valley West or, you know, Tunkhannock or Pittston area, all those different schools in the Valley that we played against. And I, I I have people come up to me to today, you know, and they have their own vivid memories. They've, passed it down to their kids, which I'm like, man, I, (laughs) I, you know, I'm walking and thinking, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, well past the, the age of, you know, you remembering anything. And next thing you know, kids are telling me, oh, my dad would tell me about you. Oh my God. I'm like, oh, all righty then, which is cool. And I say that with all due respect, because it's, it's, it's the forging of those relationships, friendships, life experiences that, um, is humbling and gives me pause to say how fortunate and how blessed um, I was to to uh, to to have yeah key people in my life make a, a profound impact on my life.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you sharing those stories and those people. Obviously, it's you know they've had a, a great effect on you and, and helped uh, forge you in the person that you are today. Um, you know, again, at Myers, it was football. And it was also track as well, uh, which I can see the smile on your face. You're proud of that mm-hmm. fact. You were a state champion in, in track in multiple sports as well. What, what was it about track? What, Why did you like that? Because eventually you ran track at Syracuse. You coached track at high school as well. So that's a sport that a lot of people don't often talk about, but obviously it was something that you excelled in.
0: Literally, we were on a ski trip. Uh, I think it was to Elk Mountain. Um, and my track uh, experience started after a simple conversation I had with my brother. He was like, hey, Kadri, how come you didn't um, go do lifting this morning? Coach Gorm, our head coach, um, big imposing figure, like 6'4", you know, 250, 260, just, you know, whoo, yeah. Coach Gorm, he's like, oh, boy, I hope I get in trouble. Well, he was saying, hey, where's your brother at, Rock? He's like, uh, yeah, he's on a ski trip. He goes, skiing? Tell your brother if he doesn't get in and start working out, he's going to be on the offensive line. And I was like, oh my god, I'm not playing online. No line. <laughs> so I went out for spring track in eighth grade. Um, that turned into just this unbelievable passion to you know, run the hurdles. Um, again, not knowing that I was going to Blow up the way I did, but uh, sure enough, it went to a scenario where ninth grade I I had some success. Tenth, I qualified for states. So I finished third in the state, and then from that point forward, I remember I tell this story to my my um athletes when every year. This is probably my tenth or eleventh year of coaching track at Patterson Mill High School, and you know every year I tell them I'm like, listen. Guys, it's not that I am telling you for the fishtail stories, and obviously I, I feel good about what I've done. I'll say that for my grandkids when I have them, but I am telling you because I have some shared experiences. You haven't been where I'm at. I've been where you're at. I've been a freshman. I've been a sophomore. I know what it's like to be a senior. I know what it's like to go through trials, semis, quarters, and finals. I know what it's like when you're dying in practice and it pays off in the end. I know how to cut practice. I know how to manipulate and think that I'm getting away with it when my coach really knows that, (laughs) God, you're not doing anything new under the sun. So either you're going to trust in the system of what I'm trying to tell you, or you're going to go ahead and be one of those kids that are going to come back years later and be disappointed in the fact that you didn't maximize your potential. So in telling that, when I look back on my time, I tell them, I said, my sophomore year, I finished third in the state and I thought, you know, wow, that was really cool. Um, I didn't make it to the finals in the 300 hurdles. Eh, that's okay. Four by one, we, we didn't even make it out of the trials. So I'm like, ah, hell, yeah, we're, we're good. We won our district. Um, and, and I was a district champion. I think I had like maybe was it three three or four goals or something like that. Well, but but then I realized it wasn't that wasn't enough. Like okay, you know what what have you done for me lately? And I never lost again when it came to the hurdles. Um, didn't matter the race, didn't matter if it was cold, it didn't matter if it was hot, and I finished the number one schoolboy hurdler in America by track and field news. So. <laughs> when you tap into your potential and who knows what your journey is going to be, you know, you're going to have to have people help you along the way to keep you accountable. And that's cool. But between your ears is where you need to hone in your craft, because mentally, if you can see it, if you can talk about it and 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 really set forth a a plan of action to maximize your potential, then you're going to have success. And I think My track and field experiences from high school carried over onto the football field when I was, you know, at a time where I was struggling. Let's not get it twisted. I wasn't jealous of my brother, but my brother, far and away, physiologically, was the better athlete, and he just blossomed uh, on the football field. And it took me a while. It took me to probably my senior year. Here we go, getting all emotional again. (laughs) Senior year, my first game was against this team called Crestwood. And Crestwood, literally, (laughs) they had, um, the year before, uh, we, we played well. My brother got hurt. I got moved to tailback. I wasn't able to do what I needed to do to finish the game and play well enough. They wound up beating us. They had a really good year. Hats off to them. My senior year comes around, they're at our place. Uh, We're on, um, you know, that old school carpet turf, not the synthetic kind now, but we had that old school carpet turf at Myers High School, and I remember my, a couple of my boys, we were all on the turf just kind of, you know, doing our thing and visualizing. My junior year of track, I mean, when I tell you I blew it up, like, I, I won everything, and, and I remember going to districts. Boom. Not only won, set the uh, district record. 300-meter hurdles, set the district record. Four by one, our team set the district record. Four by four, we blew away the competition. I'm a four-time uh, uh, district medalist, gold medalist, go down to states. We're sitting there, and next thing you know, we're in the hunt for a state championship. I win gold in the hunt, 110-meter-high uh, hurdles. Win gold in the 300-meter-high hurdles. Four by one, we win gold and take the state record. Now we're in great position to potentially win the entire states. What do we do? We go out there, four by one, or four by four, excuse me, last race of the day, and literally have probably one of my toughest races ever. But I wind up uh, getting our team. I think I had like a 15-meter come from behind, going down the final stretch, and the the kid ran a phenomenal race. He outleaned me to the tape, so I finished with – three gold and a silver, and literally that Crestwood night before um, Crescendo was one where I was like, okay, today is the day I'm mentally locked in. You're not going to stop me. And I remember I, my one teammate, Brian DeWire, is like, hey, man, what if, we, what if we're just so good we don't hunt? I was like, huh, I don't know what that means, but I I guess that's a good thing. Sure enough, we went out there, and I was like, I don't care if I have two carries or 10 carries. I am going to be so dialed into this game, I don't care if my role is to be blocking for my brother, I'm going to be the best fullback blocking dude ever. And we're going to do this. And sure enough, um, my brother first played a game, scores. Uh, <laughs> which is, it's hilarious. Everyone blocked. The, the play was called I Write 56. It was an off-tackle play. Ragib and our quarterback, Jeff Namy, both heard I Write 57. They were the only two that ran 57. We all blocked 56. My brother still scored. <laughs> it was the craziest thing. And I remember that game where I was like, uh, you know, there was a couple of times they gave me the rock and I would get hit. And I was like, not today. And I mean, peeling myself off guys that were trying to tackle me. You couldn't bring me down. Um, I finally utilized my speed. And and, uh, you know, contributed as well. I think I scored a couple times, whatever. Um, but it was it was just that year. And a lot of it, again, transitioning from my track experiences, um, molded me to help me as far as my football.
1: Yeah, You were the 1988 uh, athlete of the year, Citizens Voice. The Times leader named you that. And you mentioned uh, Ragib and, and your younger brother, Suleiman, right? Mm-hmm. So, so you got the rocket, you've got the missile, you've got the bomb. Who gave you guys the names? When did when did that take place that you guys <laughs> got those those nicknames?
0: So, Ragib, Kadri, and Suleiman both are all three names are not hard to pronounce, but for whatever reason, people had difficulty. Well, Ragib, uh, my track coach, Boss Cross, we were in eighth grade, and Ragib was going up against these these seniors, and um zero to 10 starts and he was beating them. And so, you know, boss, he, 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 uh, had, you know, he had he talk like this. He was like, man, he's fast. Oh, he's lightning. Ha <laughs> ha! He's like a rocket in a pocket. And sure enough, you know, the seniors are oh, like rocket. Ah, rocket. All right. So they dubbed him rocket and it stuck. And my nickname in high school was GQ. I was very uh, social liking of uh, girls and hanging and chilling. And it wasn't anything all shady or nothing. But, yeah, I had a lot of friends that were girls. So, you know, GQ fit. Well, my mom was like, okay, my brother, or my son is blowing up at Notre Dame. I'm up at Syracuse. I'm watching uh, Notre Dame. Take on, I think it was Purdue. I'm not exactly sure the team, but I think it was Purdue. And Andrea Joyce was the. This is this, So So uh, you know your son uh, Rocket is is or Ragib is such a phenomenal athlete. Now you know they nickname him the Rocket. What you have uh, uh, two other sons? You know what what are their nicknames? She goes, well. Andrea, um, my son, of course, as you said, is the Rocket. My other son, his nickname is the Missile. And my youngest is the Bomb. And I am affectionately called the Launching Pad. <laughs> well, that you talk about viral back in the day when viral wasn't viral, but it went viral. <laughs> like my nickname from that point forward, Mom dubs you Missile. You're going to be a Missile. There it yeah. is.
1: There you go. Your, your mom, your best uh, publicist right there. <laughs> she, she's good for marketing. Good job, mom. Yes. Well, well, again, you you had that nickname. You had the talent. You go to Syracuse. What was that recruitment like? It You know, Dick McPherson was the coach here at the time. You played for him for two years. You played for Paul Pasqualone your, your, your last <laughs> two years. And not only football, but track as well. So were you going there as a dual sport athlete at the time?
0: Yeah. So the recruiting process opened up. Um, and this is a you know real quick story to transition into that. When I was at States, again, everything seemed like track really molded everything because Ron Dickerson Sr. was the defensive coordinator for Joe Paterno in the Penn State Nittany Lions. His son, Ron Dickerson Jr., was a long jumper for uh, the AAA State College high school track team. So he's out there in AAA. We're in AA. We don't necessarily meet head-to-head we kind of talked a little bit when we were doing some stuff indoors so we kind of you know knew each other his dad you know obviously they're supporting the son and he's seeing these kids running for me everything is judged on the speed of my brother i in my mind think man, well, well i'm fast but i ain't that fast so whatever i'm walking off the track and ron dickerson senior comes over to me he's like hey you had a really good meet, young man. I say, like, oh, thank you, Coach. He goes, no, no, no. I'm serious. I, I think we need to talk. I'm gonna tell Joe about you. And I was like, okay. There's only one Joe. <laughs> we all know Joe Pa. Joe Paterno, Nittany Lions. My hometown Wilkes loves them some Nittany yeah. Lions. So I was like, all right, cool. So, um, literally. Penn State starts recruiting me. I don't know how, but the entire Eastern Seaboard, um, literally, try getting letters from everybody. You you name it: West Virginia, Virginia Tech, Maryland, Syracuse, um, Boston College, Temple, Pitt. Uh, it just it, the letters came in. North Carolina State. Um, they just kept coming, and I was I was just impressed. So, bottom line, my mindset was one where I felt like, you know, the bigger picture was that was the catalyst. And then when I finally decided on Syracuse, my mindset was Coach McPherson. He said that um, as long as my strength coach was comfortable with me, you know, participating in the winter workouts. He you know, I could do whatever I want to do. And so I sat down with my coach who uh Mike Weissick, who is uh, arguably one of the greatest, if not the greatest, uh strength and conditioning coach to ever um coach uh goodness gracious, you talk about you know, he he's 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 a Tom Brady of of uh strength coaches. And with that said, he um he's like, Cadre, you're weak and pathetic. You gotta get stronger. But is, here's the thing. I was a thrower, and I think track is great. You're going to go out there, and you're going to go and run, but you're also going to lift my lifts. I was like, okay, coach. So <laughs> I go ahead, and now I'm I'm jumping on into uh, both Syracuse track as well as as uh, participating in spring, po- in spring football, and then as soon as spring football is over with, I'm back out there on the track, and uh, I was very thankful that um, the qualifications to qualify for nationals indoor wasn't a big deal because I didn't have to do pretty much I, – I, I, I did nothing um, winter workout-wise. Only thing that they had me commit to was – I think it was only like one day a week where we would get together as a team, and that was it. And then, like I said, spring practice, you know, I, I, I try to qualify as fast as I could before I got into spring practice because then, then obviously football is a, a contact collision sport. So you get beat up and then you go back out for track, you're like, oh God. But yeah, those are some fun times to uh, to kind of go back and forth, get me mentally in it as far as, you know, academically as well as just just socially and everything. I, I think it was uh. It was really cool that that uh, I was able to to do both.
1: Yeah, you've gotta be very disciplined to be able to do that, play one sport in college, let alone two sports, and to excel as you did. I mean, you were the first two-sport All-American at Syracuse since Jim Brown in 1957. You were a All-American hurdler, All-American kick return in 1991. I mean, <laughs> if you go to Syracuse, you play football, and you mention Jim Brown next to your name, That's pretty good. I mean, again, I see the smile on your face. I mean, what was it about that? And is that something still a a point of pride for you?
0: Heck yeah. Man, are you kidding me? Jim Brown was that of legend. Like, (laughs) the legend of 44 was one thing. But then you talk about Jim Brown, the greatest lacrosse player to ever play. You know you bad when they change the rules of the game for you um, to level out the playing field. You know you're bad when you can just, you know, jump out there on the track, kick ass. You know you're bad when you can beat all the wrestlers. You know you're a badass when you can just meh, I go out there on the football field and whoop up on dudes too. Um <laughs> he was just unbelievable. And to just even do two sports, let alone the multiple that he did. But uh I, I'm I'm like, yeah, that that's a humbling uh honor to, to, to be in that select company. Um and and again, you know, it is one where it's a full time job. You know, college athletics is is not, you know, people I, I I, do sports performance training for a living, as well as all the media work that I do. Um I get athletes and parents talk all the time on what they are asking uh me to help their kid. And I'm like, look, I don't mind. But you got to be realistic on what you think your expectation is on playing at the next level. I am telling you right now, the coach at the next level does not care about you. Let's say that again. They don't care. All they care about is making sure this teenager and young adult does what they need to do, takes advantage of it, and wins. Because if they don't win, The alumni, the people that are, you know, writing out those big fat checks and all the other things, somebody's going to have to be held accountable. If I don't care if it's the men's team or the women's team, and I don't care if whatever it might be, but if you ain't getting it done, you're going to be seeing the athletic director or the team or the uh, school president, and you're going to be having a short lived collegiate um, coaching experience. So if you have that understanding in your mind i think that's where for uh, an athlete you can truly hone in and do what you feel you need to do which is be responsible for yourself and yeah of course you're going to forge some good relationships with some coaches i'm not saying that they're evil but you just got to know where you stand you stand as they don't care and if they and if you understand that then i think that's where you know uh, don't hate the the player, hate the game. Well, go out there and 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 let the game take advantage, and you take advantage of of the rules of play.
1: Well, you didn't have to worry about losing during your time at Syracuse, especially on the on the football field. I mean, the <laughs> program back then you went to four bowl games, a lot less bowls at that time than there are now, so it was harder to to get in those game those bowl games. As a senior, you went to the the Fiesta Bowl. You guys were ranked sixth in the nation. I mean, it was a different time for for Syracuse football, but what do you remember most and and all the success that you had? And and again, that transition going from Coach McPherson to Coach Pasqualone.
0: Well, I think um, (laughs) so many seminal moments, I think, is a theme of this this, uh, podcast talk. I think one thing for me was the seminal moment of at the Aloha Bowl um, in Hawaii, um, you know, Coach McPherson kind of gave – a harsh dose of reality to some play that was going on by some of the, the, um, uh, receivers. And it's not that I was good. I just didn't come into my own. Again, once you understand what you need to do, you best go ahead and make a plan to do it because they don't care. They're going to recruit that next kid. And that next kid's going to be taking your job. And for me, I felt like I needed to really do something. I, if 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 the transfer portal existed in my day, that Aloha Bowl experience, I might have been like, well, oh, I'm out of here. Well, Coach Pasqualoni takes over. Coach McPherson um, goes to New England. And for me, it became one of those things where I was like, "Wow, I I got a, a clean slate. I can, I can do what I need to do." The offensive coordinator was still the same, but like I felt like I, I had a renewed sense about where I was at. And bruh, I mean, I had my best spring practice ever, and just again, you know, track was a, a key kind of motivator. You know, I I, I went into my indoor season and and felt amazing and strong i i carried that sucker over into spring football practice um i think uh well ll cool jays jam um mama said knock you out was was uh, a hit back then bruh that thing was on repeat and we had our little you know cds after the cassette went <laughs> the way of the dinosaur <laughs> But that cd one of the advantages was that you could put it on repeat, and of course, uh, yeah, going to the Dome to practice, man, you just blasting it, and getting out, and just, just having a great practice, I think, set me up for my camp, and going into the training camp, you know, Coach Pasqualoni was like, I don't really care, you just go out there, and do what you do, and, you know, we, he was a no-nonsense coach, which I respected, but, um, yeah, I, re- I remember, like, this is it you know you again like at Crestwood I had that same kind of uh thought and feeling like not today today is the day you ain't doing it watch and sure enough it was just one big play after another big play um you know whatever you thought I was ain't it we about to have this thing and and my confidence grew I go into the, the first game of the year um was against Vanderbilt and I remember The first play, the first third down play, I think it was third and seven, but it could have been like third and three, you know, how your memory kind of gets all shooken up. But it was 228 special was the very first pass that I um, caught. And from that point forward, I remember turning up field, and I think I ran like 15, 16 yards. And, and, I mean, I was just having a game. Um, I had a couple of other catches in that game. That were like contested catches, and I mean, just snatching the ball away from the defender. I remember I was like thinking, Oh, um, I felt like I was Forrest Gump, where it's like, Oh, hi, how are you? Like, I was just like, La la la. And so, there was, uh, I remember my one um, teammate, Antonio, he's like, Kadri, QQ. I was like, Yo, what's up? He's like, um, I'm subbing you out. And I was like, Well, all right. kind of like Forrest, like, All right. I'm running in or running over to the sideline. And like, they all, all the coaches look at each other like, no, 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 stay in. <coughs> so the other kid, the other receiver goes out. I go back in. I'm listening to the play, and it's a reverse. Well, I'm like, oh, we're going to do this today. Sure enough, I get the reverse, and I go around a corner. I call upon my inner Rocket Ismail, and I see a, a lane, and I mean, I'd made a beeline to the end zone, scored. And, um, I think I had like a series of maybe six or seven, maybe seven or eight games, whatever it was of just big play after big play, after big play, after big play. And again, like I was in forced gump mode. I was like, I don't know. I don't care. I'm just going out here to practice, whatever. Little did I know people were like buzzing about, you know, wow, you know, this is the Rockets brother. What's going on? Wow. You know, he is really killing. It. I'm like, I don't know. I'm, I'm just out here just playing. Um, But that was kind of like my mindset. Like I was, was, my my head was down. I'm like, I'm going out there. I'm practicing. I'm working my butt off. I'm going to prepare. It doesn't doesn't matter. Um, There were some other receivers that came before me that were my mentors. And I always respected how hard they worked. And I was like, man, I'm going to be just like them. I'm just going to just focus in. When it's time to do our conditioning at the end of practice, I don't care if I'm tired. I don't care. I don't care anymore. Going out there and always striving to be at least top three, minimum. Nobody else is going to beat me, and I'm I'm coming in first. Or 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 you 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 had a good one, but that was my mentality, and that's what I think helped give me the confidence to to play that well.
1: Yeah, certainly an outstanding year. It was uh, the Big East at the time, the early days of the Big East. You were all I- Big East, 1991, 1992. Going up against Miami, as, as I said, you went to the Fiesta Bowl. You beat Colorado in that Fiesta Bowl, which was uh, really the high-water mark uh, of the time there. Mm-hmm. Such great players. Uh, again, I know some of those folks, uh, our friends, will be watching this here. Uh, again, those the Syracuse memories. Um, and, and after that, again, you, you made a name for yourself. Your mom did with the missile. Uh, you ended up getting drafted. 1993 drafted, second round, 52nd overall by the Vikings. What was your thought? Because the coach at the time there was a late Dennis Green. So in your pro career, you play for some some really good coaches. We're going to get to some of those. But uh, what was your thought getting drafted by the Vikings and and having that opportunity to play at the next level?
0: So I had no idea where Minnesota was. I had to look it up on a map. Couldn't just, you know, go ahead and go on your device. What device? You didn't have devices back then. <laughs> you just kind of like, all right, hey, where's the map at? Where's Minnesota? And, yeah, no, I, I – uh, you know, just, I enjoy my time, you know, in Minnesota, really, um, learned an a lot about myself. The the one thing, um, I'm disappointed in myself in that time. I, it just took me a while to learn what it was to be a, a pro, to, to learn what it was to, to show up, you know, day in and day out. You know, I, I talked about my time at Syracuse and, you know, what I, I felt I, I did and accomplished, but, uh, you know, some of the guys that, you know, I, I was teammates with, you know, whether it been Warren Moon or, you know, <laughs> Jim McMahon in, in my first year, scored my first touchdown against the Packers, which was him. But, uh, you know, game winners, you know, going up and, and making plays, uh, sending games into overtime, um, you know, just realizing that, that I, I can play. Uh, but just never really, I think there was just times where I was inconsistent, you know, Um you know, the, the, the times where I was on point and, you know, making game winners, that was great. But there were other times where I look back on it and I'm like, man, if I would have just concentrated more and, and just honed in on my craft more, you know, what could have, should have been. And this isn't wishful thinking. This isn't, you know, just um, negative talk. This is just, yeah. Um, so so I think my my time in Minnesota was fun amazing enjoyed the city I think I uh, I partnered up with uh, uh, off the field with uh, drug abuse resistance education which was uh, dare and and, and local uh, law enforcement and my god man I went back you know um, into my storage unit and looked at some of the different uh, fan mails that I gotten over the years and there is there's is a whole generation of uh, Minneapolis, greater Minneapolis, St. Paul area kids that I had spoken to, um, that are, you know, adults now with kids of their own, I'm sure. But, uh, my God, man, I, I, um, I mean, thousands of thousands, like I, I spoke so much and really honed in, I think again, my, my craft as far as media and as far as what I wanted to do, um, post playing, um, career. So, you know, a lot of good memories. Um, but, but for sure on the field, um, you know, just kind of an incomplete feeling of, of what I could have, should have, would have done in Minnesota. Um,
1: all right. So Minnesota 1993 to 1996, Chris Carter w- was one of your teammates, fellow wide receiver now in the pro football hall of fame. What kind of a influence and effect did he have on your career? And, and, you know, did, 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 You know, as you said, you look back and maybe have some regrets, but did he help you along the way and and maybe get you to that next level with your game?
0: If I'm being honest, he uh, it was it was both good and bad. Um, The good, he no. Let me start with the bad. The the bad, he was um, extremely narcissistic uh, alpha male who had. Uh, his own demons that he overcame, and rightly so, looked really good as far as, you know, his uh, his life journey. Um, obviously, you know, uh, alcoholism and, and drug abuse was prevalent in his early time uh, at Ohio State, and then obviously um, in the pros, um, then obviously he got a chance of redemption at um, Minnesota. And then he, you know, in them, in the offense, Brian Billick, I think, really helped him, you know, blossom, but for me, I didn't need a guy to, um, I'm not an alpha, I'm definitely not a beta, I would consider myself more of a, a sigma male, where the characteristics of a sigma male is one where, bro, I don't need to, to show you who I am, um, I don't need to puff up my chest, but I will, Um, I don't need to walk around and, and flash Uh, and, and, and be the center of attention. But if you need me to uh, help you, I will, um, I can serve you, but I can also lead. Um, those are the characteristics that I would say. And I don't think in Chris's narcissism, um, he had that, he had that capability and that's where I think it was frustrating to see. And it, and it played out not just with Kadri. So this isn't like some kind of, Oh, Kadri has sour grapes. You know, sometimes the keyboard warriors, they, they have their own trauma experiences. And then all of a sudden, they start writing their little thing. And like, no, nah, brother, that's not it. So there were other guys I think he rubbed the wrong way. Um, and I let them tell their own stories. The, the bottom line, I think, for me was one where the good was Chris was an extremely competitive person. A guy that just wanted to win and that was what made him a hall of famer um you you took from him the game within the game he had just this uncanny sense of of knowing the game and and just sensing the moment and why it was so important to do whatever you know it could be third down and 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 chris just knew they were going to play this certain coverage and he would break off his route and and just get open, and it would always seem to work. He was such a gamer, um, just just a fierce competitor and, and a tireless worker. Um, I loved that about him. I loved the way he. The you know, the you people say um, Odell Beckham Jr. with his one hand catching. Before Odell, um, before Ashley Lee. Um, there was another kid who played uh, in a league uh, after me. Um, really great body awareness as well. Before all them dudes, there was Chris Carter. Phenomenal hands. Um, just didn't matter if it was low, didn't matter if it was high, didn't matter if it was out of bounds. His body kinesthetic awareness was a 10, and a 10 out of 10. And the the way in which he was able to to always be in position to make plays was remarkable. And and that's something that um, I respected and loved about, you know, my time working with Chris.
1: Yeah. Again, there until 1996 with the the Vikings. bounced around a little bit. Some of your coaches, oh, Jimmy Johnson, played three games at Miami for Jimmy Johnson. Dan Marino was your quarterback. Ten games with the Saints. Mike Ditka was uh, the head coach in 1998. And then 99 to 2001, it seemed like you kind of – maybe found a home once again with Baltimore. You mentioned Brian Billick, who was with the Vikings, now the head coach with the, the Baltimore Ravens. Did you feel like, you know, once you got to Baltimore, this was kind of maybe home for you? And and in a sense, you know, you had grown into that position, into that role that, that you had in the NFL, you know, that many years into it?
0: So I look at guys like uh, Chris Carter, um and Andre Hastings and I think there's some ways in which they again personality wise, um, being alphas and being um, narcissists that you know you're kind of like yeah I, that ain't me, but I also look at some other guys who, you know, uh, my brother Raghib when he was with the Carolina Panthers, uh, him and Mushin Muhammad, um, I look at you know guys who. Um, OJ McDuffie, my time down in, in Miami, um, OJ, where well, I consider him a, a, a Sigma male kind of a guy where, I mean, that dude, you talk about catching, oh my God, that dude just, he would drop an F-bomb if he dropped a, a pass, but the way he would do it, it was like such a deep voice. And then all of a sudden, you know, he just locked back in and the next 200 balls, you ain't seeing drop, not one, uh, and then it would carry over into the game too. Um but um uh, yeah those men molded me and got me ready to say again the phrase that i kept seemingly coming about which was i don't care um i never saw such a powerful imposing figure in jimmy johnson uh be so attuned to everything and at the same time, an amazingly positive, awesome coach. Um, just just phenomenal. Um, and it forced me out of my comfort zone. I, with all due respect, appreciate the time down in New Orleans. But the worst coaching staff ever assembled was down in New Orleans. So it made me appreciate what good coaching is and what preparation really truly means both as a player and as a coach without question when i got to baltimore brian billick ozzy newsome that defense and offensive staff assembled the way in which brian interacted and gave us the freedom to be men um again not today was my phrase and i was like you ain't cutting me. You ain't getting me off this team. I'm going to be the go-to guy, and I'm going I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you how good I am. I'm going to show you that I can play this game. I don't care um, what anybody on the other side of the football field who lines up against me might say or think or whatever. I know who I am, and I'm about to do this. And so mentally, I just I, I came into my own yet again and, and just felt like, you're, you're, you're just, you know, you, you picked the wrong day to go ahead and and, and, and doubt me and doubt my abilities. And uh, yeah, I loved it. I loved every bit of it. I love the, the way in which, you know, we were as a team. I love the fact that, um, you know, I had an opportunity to, uh, to play and, and to play extremely well.
1: Uh, and I love your, your honesty. And, you know, again, talking with some of your experiences here with us and let's talk about 2000 uh, again, with the Ravens, Trent Dill for the quarterback, Jamal Lewis running back, Shannon Sharp tight end. Obviously, the defense was outstanding with Ray Lewis, the middle linebacker, uh, you know, Hall of Famer as well that was leading the defense. Could you tell early on that there was something special about that team?
0: Not necessarily. Um, I think every team early on has these high expectations. I think fan bases, team owners, uh, unless you, you know, maybe the Bengals but, or the Cleveland Browns or – the Arizona Cardinals, or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers before Tony Dungy. Gee, all those teams, they were sucky. Anyway, I digress. The Jets, let's not forget the Jets, too. (laughs) Them, too. Yeah, yeah. New England England before Bill Belichick. Yeah, yeah. There are some teams and organizations, they don't care about anything. Preseason, postseason, whatever, they just, like, cut us a check, we'll take the money and go. But there's these teams that are the upper echelon that we've seen over the years and players and coaches that set a standard. And I think, you know, one thing about this uh, organization called the Baltimore Ravens, they were a new organization, um, but they had an owner in in Art Modell that I think it was a culture shift. And I loved and thoroughly enjoyed every bit of my time there, Um, bruh. It was just special. Um, guys just loved being around each other. As far as in the locker room, uh, my my great. I've I've played with so many um, Hall of Fame guys, and and I've learned from so so many of them and what they've done. My time in Minnesota, my time in you know obviously down in Miami, and my time obviously in in, in, in New Orleans. Although yeah, my, my teammate Willie really Wolf Willie. Wolf, uh, left tackle, he, he's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, my time, obviously, in Baltimore, my... my As a fan of the game, but also as my favorite all-time teammate who was in the Hall of Fame, um, again, I'm getting choked up, but is Shannon Sharp. Because Shannon had... He was the alpha male without the uh narcissism uh shannon was extremely confident shannon was loud shannon was the best teammate ever do give you some wisdom you listening little piece of wisdom that stuck with me that i think helped prepare me to be the go-to guy both in 99 2000 and then in 2001 but that 2000 super bowl team that run you know shannon had this he would say few words and it would mean a lot and it would carry so much weight i'm sitting up in the front as i always do taking notes but i'm like i know this offense and i'm 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 kind of bored and i'm just nodding off shannon kind of you know he was sitting next to me he kind of nudged me he goes hey q hey hey if you sleep everybody gonna be sleeping hey come on let's take some notes i was like oh my god shannon sharp (laughs) if he stayed awake how much more so I have? Man, you better go ahead and get your butt up and stand up, take some coffee, whatever you need to do. Homeboy just called you out. But the way he called me out was with, you know, the utmost encouragement. And, like, I, I, I'm forever grateful. And then when we be in the heat of a game, um, you go, hey, hey, Q, we need to make a play. And I, I there was a touchdown um, against the um, Dallas Cowboys, he had scored in that game, but then in, in, it was a critical point in the game where we needed to really make a play, and we're in a huddle. He goes, AQ, hey we need you to make a play. Literally, that next play, I'm going down the field, and uh, Trent Dilford throwing me the ball, and I go up against, I think it was Felipe Sparks, and I come down with it two feet in. They, they – uh, Go ahead, give me the touchdown, and I snatched the ball away from him. Um, the, or not the Arizona. The uh, game against the Chargers, same thing. You know, um, he was like, "Hey, we need to help out, um, um, Trent," and that's all he needed to tell me. Trent tells me what to do. I go down the field, and again, same spot in the end zone and everything, and I wind up scoring again. But that's where, again, the the power of that mentorship the power of influence in a positive way, um, Shannon called it out. And both times in key moments, I just scored, you know, and uh, I I loved it. It was, it was, it was was fun. It was amazing. It was what I needed. um, But it was also, again, that, that mindset for me was not today. And my preparation was so locked in that, um, again, this is where I say, you know when i'm speaking to my high school kids and i'm speaking to my collegiates that i'm training y'all haven't been where i'm at you don't know what it's like to go ahead and excuse me for choking up again but you don't know what it's like to fumble the ball when you're in rec league football in a championship but you don't know what it's like to come back and get benched uh as a a freshman you don't know what it's like to get benched as a sophomore you don't know what it's like to go ahead and bust it out, but still don't place in in an event in the hurdles. You don't know what it's like to have people uh in 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 the Carrier Dome looking at you sideways like you can't play, you suck. You don't know what it's like when you in 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 the pros and you're sitting there and you're getting berated by one of your teammates and you're like, man, I need to go ahead and punch the heck out of this dude, but if I do, I'm gonna lose my job. You don't know what it's like when you're sitting there under pressure you dropping a ball and then all of a sudden the, the media comes hard down on you. Or other teammates are like, man, what, you, you're not good. You don't know what it's like when you're sitting there and you're like, man, I don't think I'm going to make this ball club. I think I'm going to be inactive again. Or I'm not going to even have any statistics to speak of. You don't know those experiences. So you can either listen and understand what it takes to overcome said experiences or you can go ahead and figure it out yourself, what you want to do.
1: Well you certainly uh were very coachable, you listen, as you said, it seemed like you didn't want to let shannon sharp down. You didn't want to leave your let your teammates down. You win that Super Bowl again in two thousand uh two thousand and one you mentioned that you, probably your better year, your best year with the the ravens career highs seventy four receptions, seven touchdowns mm-hmm. and, and then you backed up uh Marvin Harrison with the Colts is that that's how your career ended This is a former high or a former uh, Syracuse teammate of yours. he was younger than you. And then I guess you kind of come full circle here and back him up. What was that experience like? He's another guy that you play with who's in the hall of fame now.
0: Yeah. You know, um, again, I was very thankful and blessed to, to have played uh, with some greats and Marvin is, is, is right up there with him. Marvin. I mean, that dude can play, play like he just so incredibly smooth and just on point. And Peyton and him had the chemistry like you just, there's chemistry and then there's chemistry. They they could, you know, they just, they just had it. They had that gift. They had that it factor. Um, for me, Marvin, his work ethic was second to none. Again, you talk about, you know, again, I said those alpha males. Marvin was as quiet as quiet could be. So he had a little sigma male in him as well. He didn't really care. Um, you know, try to impress you. He, that just wasn't his thing. He was just going to go out there and do his thing. Um, with all that said, <laughs> fierce competitor, fierce, uh, just just incredibly high football IQ. Um, but my time there, I had C3, C4 neck fusion ultimately, which I had to retire, but my neck was flaring up. And I felt like, man, you know, here I am. The game has slowed down. Nothing really surprises me. And, you know, had to shut it down. But, uh, yeah, playing with Marvin, playing with uh, Peyton, obviously Edwin James, Hall of Famer. Woo, Jeff Saturday, uh, our center, um, you know, all those dudes, man. Them, them dudes, that was a fun locker room. Um, you know, we had some some really good, strong personalities. But uh, everybody really had a good, strong respect for one another. And it was just it was good to, to go to work. Um, and, and obviously the culture was set up because of, um, one Tony Dungy and, you know, that was my second stint with him. My first one obviously was in Minnesota when he was the D coordinator, but, uh, yeah, man, I'm telling you that I was very thankful to, uh, to have played my time there in in Indianapolis.
1: I mean, when it's all said and done, 10 years, I mean, not everybody has a 10-year NFL career. You did, as you said, a lot of Hall of Famers, a lot of great coaches you were with, and, and a Super Bowl as well. I mean, when you look back at it now, and I'm sure as you talk to your kids, I mean, you've got to be proud of what you were able to accomplish. As you said, not always easy for you, but to play 10 years and to be a Super Bowl champ, there's a lot of guys. You play with Dan Marino, one of the best quarterbacks ever. He doesn't have a Super Bowl ring, but you do.
0: One of the things that I cherish every year, um, Super Bowl wise and otherwise, is this: that <clears throat> once you get to the game, you look on it and you recognize what select company it is to, to get there and then to win it. Um, that's what makes what I look at with 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 uh, Tom Brady unreal. Uh, I thought Joe Montana at the bar. He Surpassed it times ten. Uh, I, I I mean, multiple guys who have had multiple championships. You know, whether it be Charles Haley's of the world. Um, obviously, the way in which they just keep winning and sustain winning. You know, to be in that select group of men to say, "Yeah, I want a Super Bowl championship." Um, it, it's it's special, and and it comes with privilege. And uh, you know I've been on many uh, uh, golf course where some tee times are a little tight. All of a sudden, now come on, Kadiris, my Super Bowl champion. What is that? Oh, Mister Ismail, <laughs> come on, are we, hey, uh, we're gonna move that group over to the back nine. And uh, you, you guys ready to go? Yes, we are ready to go. Thank you, good sir. Appreciate you. Oh, Kadiris, I'm up in New York City. New York City, come on now. City never sleeps. The whole nine yards. I'm sitting down at dinner. I mean, you have met every person in the gosh doggone world in the city. Oh, well, hey, aren't you? I how are you? Yes, ah, uh, yes. Having that ring, it goes a long way. And and I have story after story after story. Um, and it's 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 a blessing to to play in the National Football League. A blessing to get those relationships um forged uh, with some really good strong uh, men. Um and then at the same time to to sit back and 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 to reminisce on it. Uh, it's really, really cool.
1: We're, we're running out of some time here. I, I want to get to what you're doing now. I know you do a lot of different things. There are several different things. Uh, tell our, our viewers, our listeners, what you're doing right now and how maybe they can follow you a little bit.
0: Yeah, so I do sports performance training um, primarily. Uh, it's a passion of mine. Obviously, I'm a uh, head high school coach for our track and field boys and girls. Um, but, uh, yeah, from a sports performance standpoint, I recognize that you know, there's a better way to move. And the acronym Greatest of All Time Actions stands for, is GOTA. And so I've, I've become a, a, a student of GOTA and, and, and really understood how to move correctly, which when I now see it, a lot of those Hall of Famers that I talked about they had those go type principles um, just naturally in them. Uh, Marvin Harrison just had it in him. Um, and it keeps you from being injured and broken down. That being said, it doesn't really matter if you're an athlete or not. I work with a variety of people. My morning clientele typically are, are working people <coughs> who are trying to up their fitness. And so it's really cool to, to impart into them better movement and having them see that better movement come into play. So that's really cool. At the same time, when I look at uh, my media aspect of things, it's about being in what I call my back chain, being back chain dominant um, with all of my work. Media-wise, from what BET to NBC to... ESPN to the Ravens as their broadcast, um, uh, what, five, six different shows over the years to being on their broadcast team to WBAL to now current day doing um, WJZ, uh, the, the regional Baltimore CBS affiliate. And I have three shows on there that I get a chance to... To do with uh, Mark Viviano, uh, Rick Ritter, and a host of other guys, but uh, we have a, a, a blast talking Ravens. Um, pre-game, post-game, uh, we've we've traveled with the, the, the to the different cities and stuff, and talked and broke some great news and the whole night. So my passion is there as far as media wise. My passion is there, helping people move better. People can easily follow me on I am Kadri Ismail on Twitter. They can DM me if they want to, uh, reach out as far as training and I do virtual training. So it doesn't really matter, um, where you're at in the country. And then at the same time, uh, yeah, I, I think my, my phone, I have the back phone where mother of Pearl, like my time it up at EDSPN, you get on that, that, that black book list where every producer, you know, they, they come a calling, well, they've come a calling many a time. So I'm sure, you know, if. There needs to be some experience on understanding whatever Raven-related. I'm there for you as well.
1: Well, I, I, I want to leave on this uh, again. You, you mentioned you and your brothers. If you guys race now, foot race right now, who who wins right now? Do you guys you know do you, do you talk some junk? And who who would
0: win? Let me say it this way: About four years ago, I was down in Dallas for uh, the Ravens preseason game, Ravens uh, broadcast whatever, and. It's a really light schedule preseason, you know. So we're there, Dallas. It's a night game. I go over to my brother, I'm like, "Yo, man, let's do a workout. I'm in shape, bro. I am in shape." Homeboy got the dad bod going on. He's like, <laughs> "Yeah, you know, uh, God, yeah, we're just, we're just gonna do some walking, and we're gonna to the local park down in my neighborhood, um, and we'll go there. We'll do some things. Uh, we, c- you can show me some things to do. I was like, yeah, bro, I, I got you. That's shape.'" Talking about. And I started walking. I was like, my, I'm smile. the missile now. What's up? No. All them years you was whooping up on me, homeboy outwalked a brother. <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> I was like, how the hell? He gonna outwalk me outwalk me. So my confidence was shattered a little bit there. Confidence was shattered. I'm okay though. I'm okay. Just gonna go ahead and Hang up the phone now and act like this whole thing (laughs) never happened.
1: Well, I'm sorry. I I thought I was going to end on a high note here. I I guess I went on the the opposite direction. We'll leave it there, Kadri. Again, I I thank you so much for spending time with us and and wish you the best of luck.
0: Thank you, man. appreciate you having me on as always.
1: All right. Thank you. Well, what a story there from Kadri Ismael. My thanks to him for joining us here today in episode number 19. Such great stories and memories of his career. Some honest takes from his career as well. And once again, a Super Bowl champ back in 2000 with the Baltimore Ravens. Our thanks as well for uh, the highlights that you saw from JSN Highlights. Thank you for providing those for us here today. And we thank you for watching us. If you like what you saw, make sure you like this podcast and subscribe to our channel. We have more great guests coming up. Again, next week will be our 20th episode. Unbelievable. But this one, episode number 19, Condre Ismael, we appreciate him joining us and you watching it and listening to it here today. We'll see you next time for another edition of In the Front Row with Mike Vaccaro. Have a great day, everybody.